director here at Soul Pepper Theater, and it brings me welcome you here today. Um, I, for one, am really excited to have this conversation. And uh, we put these tickets on sale, and they were gone in two hours, which means that all of you are people who don't mess around. And you also are clearly eager to have this dialogue with us, so thank you so much. And um, our panelists who are back there, um, we also really have to say thank you to them. I asked them, and without blinking, they were said yes about you know, having a conversation with each other and with all of us. So, of course, without you, this wouldn't happen, so thank you. Um, so, we also, uh, I know this is in spi the spirit of International Women's Day, which, of course, was Friday, but why can't we have International Women's Weekend, <laughs> I say? You know, sky's the limit. Also, we, um, we didn't do it on Friday because Nina had a show opening. And it was important that it didn't conflict. And I wanted to be there. And it was an amazing show, if you haven't seen it. School Girls, or the African Mean Girls play. It's, uh, it's at Buddy's, where Mel is the director of festivals. Nina Lee Aquino directed it there. That was produced by Kelly Thornton of Nightwood Theatre. That is, has the incoming artistic director of Andrea Donaldson. So you can see how we're already all interconnected. Um, also, before we um, move on, I'd like to also acknowledge the land that we're on, the territories of the Mississauga of the Credit, the Haudenosaunee, the Anishinaabe, and the Wendat. And uh, recognizing these nations and any other nations who have taken care of this land, recognized or unrecognized. And this is also the territory of the Dish with One Spoon Treaty. And it was first originally created to ensure that we shared this land peacefully. And uh, eat from one dish and share one spoon, take as much as we need and leave enough for others. And I, for one, am very grateful to reflect on this as a cultural leader, someone who has to think about space and how we share in this country. Um, International Women's Day is uh, a celebration that stretched back since the early 20th century, uh, made official in 1975 by the UN, and this year's theme is Balance for Better. And um, it's been discussed a lot in different cultural sectors, in different sectors, in business sector as well, in many sectors, that um, diversity um, in lived experiences leads to multiple perspectives, which also ends up in better business. So, you know, equity doesn't just make sense, it makes dollars. And it's important for us to take these moments to challenge each other, to um, activate each other, and to inspire each other. Um, and in that spirit of support, all of the proceeds from today go to help um, support the Amy Project. So thank you already for all contributing to this. Um, and uh, the Amy Project, or Artists Mentoring Youth, is uh, a free program, performing arts education program to young women and non-binary youth from across the GTA. It's the recipient of the 2017 Toronto Arts Foundation Arts for Youth Award. Um, and so it's a program that's very dear to my heart. Um, and we have somebody here from Amy named Carvella Lee, who is a past participant. She participated in Amy's 2018 theater program and was the co-creator performer in Lion Women, which ran in the 2018 Summer Works Festival. So she's gonna come up here and share two short pieces from that. Freedom is being able to speak your truth. It's being able to say no and not feel guilty. 
I'm sick and tired of being guilted out of my emotions. You asking to touch my hair and me simply saying no should not be the start of a riot. Freedom is the love I wish I had for myself because broken people have left me bruised and confused about the role I played in my abuse. Why must I blame myself for the stupidity of others? Maybe it's because I was never taught to sit in and feel my truth, and now I laugh when all I want to do is cry. Freedom is black men being allowed to cry because black women are too tired of doing it for them. Why must we carry the burden of a nation? Is it because we are magic? If so, please remember that we are still real and the weight of this cross swaying us down. Freedom is understanding that people can only love you the way they know how, and the way they love or don't love you back is not a reflection of your worth, you are enough. Freedom is accepting the things I cannot change and changing the things I cannot accept because I'm allowed to evolve and I'm allowed to be beautiful. Five years old, I found myself scrubbing my face with bleach and disinfectant. I was at school and the teacher handed us a bowl with a substance and told us to clean our desks. Weird, I know. Then all of a sudden, me and a few of the darkest skinned kids were being talked into bleaching our skin. I tried it only because I wanted to fit in. My dark features made me afraid to take up space. Everything about my darkness scared me. I'm eight. This one particular recess, I decided to fly solo. No specific reason. It just be like that sometimes. <laughs> and lo and behold, some older girl, light-skinned if I might add, walks up to me only to say that if I were lighter, I'd be prettier. And to add insult to injury, she started asking her friends if they agreed. I stood there, and I acted unbothered by her, by her ignorance, but deep down, I was devastated. Today, I look back at my younger self and I smile because I am the revolution. My melanin carries the secrets of my ancestors. Because of them, I learned to wade the water of colorism. I am black. I am black. I am black. Without me, the stars wouldn't shine. When I enter a room, your soul has to stand at attention for I am the I am. I wish I was more aware of how royal I was or all the powers I possessed, because those words would not have pressed me if I did. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everybody who bought tickets and, and you know, t played a part in ensuring that we are supporting the next generation of artists. Well, so now I get to introduce my panelists. Tonight with theater, incoming artistic director. She believes in the power of transformational leadership, prioritizing deep listening, compassion, and clarity of vision. Upcoming, Andrea will be directing Gigi award-winning playwright Aaron Shields' Beautiful Man at Factory Theater, opening in May, and Pinterest betrayal here at Soul Pepper in September. Andrea Knox. Is Toronto based curator and manager. Mel is the associate artist and director of festivals at Buddies and Bad Times Theater. Previously, Mel has worked with Obsidian Theater Company, Factory Theater, Banfest Center, Playwrights Colony, Be Current Performing Arts, Food Gen Asian Canadian Theater, Eastern Front Theater, Queer Acts Festival, the Topeka Festival, and Mall Ray Road Theater. Mel has been the director of the Rhubarb Festival since 2014 and was selected as a leader in residence at the National Theater School of Canada.
Ellie Thornton has 25 years of experience in professional theater and has been recognized for artistic excellence, activism, and mentorship. In addition to having been the artistic director of Lightroom Theater since 2001, Kelly has also been at the forefront of movement towards gender equity in Canadian theater, having co-founded an initiative with the PGC Impact, with PGC Impact that released Adding It Up, The Status of Women in Canadian Theater, a report that exposed ongoing systemic inequities in the arts. On June 1st, 2019, Kelly begins the next chapter of her career as she becomes the first female artistic director of the Royal Manitoba Theater Center in Montana. Kelly Thornton is that she is the first person to give you a professional check in theater. Black Girls Search of God, that was 20 years ago. Nina <laughs> uh, Liakino is a Toronto-based, award-winning Filipina-Canadian director and dramaturg. She was the artistic director of Fujin, Cahoots Theater, and is currently the artistic director of Factory Theater. Uh, so we, this is the way that this format's gonna go. Um, I really think that conversation between women has led to movements and uh, change. So I thought just having a conversation and these questions not being moderated so much individually but collectively would be really exciting. So each of us has chosen a burning question that we would like to ask another female cultural leader. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask each other the questions. We're going to respond. We're going to talk a bit about it. I also thought I would start with some fun facts. Um, as, you, as you heard in Kelly's bio, she was instrumental in creating Adding It Up, which then led to an important document um, called Achieving Equity in Canadian Theatre Report in 2015. And some, uh, it's great because we have data now to talk about some of, um, some of the achievements and to really monitor progress. So in 1982, female artistic directors made up 11% in the country and directors 13%. In 2006, female artistic directors made up 33% and directors 34%. Um, of course, this number also differs for women of color. In 2006, they were at 6%. Um, 2011, PAC's uh, findings also showed ADs at 28%, directors at 32%, and playwrights at 22%. Uh, the largest discrepancies were in the regional theaters in a study where men make up 85% of ADs and women 15%. So, you know, steps forward, steps backwards, and things like this are important to make sure that we're all aware and we can keep pushing it forward. Um, another also fact that I found um, interesting is that although Playwrights Guild is made up of 50% female members, only 28% are being produced in Canada just as a, as a way to frame our conversation and to know kind of a little bit where we're at. But now let's talk about our personal experiences. So, Kelly, I'm going to pick on you just to be first and ask your question. I'm going to contextualize where this question came from. My question is, describe a f defining moment in your life that set, set you on your path towards leadership. Uh, I was in my 20s. I'm going to give you my defining moment. It's one of many, obviously. Um, uh, I was in my 20s and... Like so many artists, uh, I was comparing myself to everybody else who is in the race, uh, or the perceived race. And, um, and a very close person in my life said, Kelly, people don't know what to give you until you tell them what you want. And I was, 
I was a theater artist. <laughs> and I, I was writing, I was directing, I was acting, I had my own company, uh, but I was kind of, and I was dramaturging, and I was kind of getting nowhere, or, or I felt like I wasn't getting the opportunities. Um, and, uh, and so that, and within, within that small phrase, I began to not only ask people or tell people exactly what I wanted in life, uh, but I also, um, I asked the universe, and I was running Buddies in Bad Times Rhubarb Festival at the time, and uh, had an interview, and someone said, um, with the media, and someone asked, uh, you know, where do you th where do you see yourself in five years? And I said, I think I'm gonna, I think I can be an artistic director, and within three months I was the AD at Nightwood. So, <laughs> it, it's it's a real thing to ask the universe what you want, and to be really clear, I stopped acting, Lena stopped musical theater. <laughs> um, and I really focused on direction and artistic direction and the world kind of changed for me. So that's my pathway and that was a really defining moment because in one small phrase, and I live by that phrase now, I, I really am much more direct than I used to be. Um, I'm gonna ask Nina, what was your defining moment? Okay, so mine was really uh, born out of rejection um, and I think, you know, I'm so sick of telling this story, right? Um, uh, I, I, was in <laughs> I was in musical theater, hardcore, since I was six years old, professional actor, um, trained all my life. Um, and, and so when I came here to Canada, because my, I'm a diplomat, uh, my mother uh, was an ambassador of the Philippines. So we, we were, I, I was privileged enough to experience theater all over um, the world wherever my mom got assigned. So um, had a had a quite a thriving career when I was younger. So when I came here to Canada, so I was determined uh, to still have a career as an actor. Um, maybe not musical theater anymore, but just as an actor. Um, so going into my uh, university, I went to York. I'll just name the school. Um, and then of course the dreaded second year because they stream, they stream people. Uh, to go into your different, you know, in acting, playwriting, production, theater studies. Uh, and, I, and I didn't make the list uh, for actors. Like, it was the, the coveted 16 slot. Um, I don't know if that's still 12, 16 slot. And so I did not see my name. And um, that day was the day, like, you know, my, my heart fell into a gajillion million pieces. Um, and felt like um, I could not, I, I, that I wasn't an actor. So I said, screw it. I left York um, and went to the University of Guelph, where really for the sole purposes of just being closer to my boyfriend at that time, who was at <laughs> University of Waterloo, had no, you know, with a broken heart and kind of feeling lost. I'm like, well, at least I have my boyfriend. Um, <laughs> let's just, you know, whatever. Um, and then sure enough, um, I took this course on directing um, because it was the only course that was available. And, and I, I, again, I was, I was quite directionless at that time. And then um, I, I guess I was, I was okay with it. <laughs> I, I got pretty good at it. Um, and it was really meeting Judith Thompson, who was part of the faculty, who still teaches there. I think, you know, University of Guelph is 
one of the best kept secrets really in, in theater training. Uh, just because it's very much overshadowed by the agricultural stuff, but that the teachers, my mentors back then in, in the university were top notch. So uh, she took me inside her office and then she um, gives me a play um, out of her drawer and she's like, I want you to direct this play and it was Mother Tongue by Betty Kwan. And at that time I was the only Asian um, me and maybe one other person in the entire uh, theater department. And I said, Judith, I don't, how, how do you expect me to, to direct this? I go, you'll find a way. And so, and then she goes, um, you know, Nina, I, I think you're a lovely actor and you can still pursue acting if you want to, but um, if you do that, you will be one of thousands and thousands of, of talented individuals like yourself trying to break down that wall. And I didn't know what wall meant back then, but that's what she said. But if you choose to become a director, um, you are then putting yourself in a, in a position where you can bring people with you, in a powerful position where you can bring people with you, and you can be that door to that wall. And um, I think that was it. Like, the image of me being a door to that wall clicked. And so me being a director um, just became, it wasn't just about me and, and how to express myself, but it was how to express an entire, my community in particular, um, and have our stories communicated to Canadian audiences. So that was, that was my- Great. I'm gonna ask everybody? I'm gonna ask everybody. Okay. I'm going to Mel, I'm going to Mel, because Mel's like, don't ask me. I'm an, um, Guelph is my alma mater too, by the way. Woohoo, Guelph. <laughs> yeah, I went to York, so. <laughs> um, yeah, so my. A defining moment, moment that um, led you on your path towards leadership. Yeah, well, I am a white-passing, mixed-race person of color. My dad's from Montreal, and my mom's uh, from Jamaica. She's from Canada in her 20s. Um, and so growing up in Mississauga, which is a very um, culturally diverse place, um, there was nothing strange about that, uh, about me being uh, beige, about my mom coming from somewhere else. Like, every single student, you know, I joke that I didn't meet white people until I went to university unless I was related to them. Um, <laughs> because the white kids I met were Polish. They went to Polish school every weekend. Like, they weren't white Canadians. They were uh, Croatian, Ukrainian, um, Italian, Portuguese, but like that culture sat very heavily in them. And so then when I got to theater school, the questions, because also people hadn't met my mother, so trying to place me within this, um, <coughs> within this, this spectra of, are you black? Do you identify as black? And, I'm, and it took me a long time to find the phrase mixed race, white passing person of color. Like that has been a, that has been a many year journey. Um, but I think when I think about a defining moment on my path to leadership, um, I have always felt outside, outside of a lot of things, outside culturally, I'm queer, outside, um, just like really outside and watching sometimes. Like I feel a bit like a witness more than a, um, someone who's interacting. And I don't know if everybody feels like this. I'm only in my own container. 
Maybe everybody feels like this. Um, you know, I am a terrible actor. Um, <laughs> just terrible. I can't take direction. Um, you know, I make interesting choices. I will say, like, I do, <laughs> I make great choices. I'm very smart. I'm very, but, I, but I'm a terrible actor. I'm a mediocre playwright. Um, like, I could pull it off, but it would never be great. Um, so I found dramaturgy when I was in university. Judith Rudikoff is a professor and has trained many dramaturges. And the other thing about me is that I wanted a job. I really wanted a job. Um, I wanted, my parents are so wonderful and so supportive, but they worry, they worry about me every day about how I'm going to do this. How, so from even when I was, I don't know, in second year university, I was already downtown making the connections, looking for the jobs, looking for the companies. Um, so I have been dogged in my determination to be in this. Like to be, in, I, I, I mean, I still can't believe I'm here. I can't believe it worked. Um, <laughs> because it doesn't always work like it's it's a but I but one thing I will say is that I, I never call myself lucky anymore because that hurts that hurts the imagination because then it gets all messed up with like I worked at Obsidian Theater is that only because I am a mixed-race white passing Jamaican Canadian is that the only reason I got that job I work at buddies is that just because I'm queer am I not actually good is it actually just because of these like subject positions that I hold so I don't call myself lucky anymore. I'm very talented, but I worked very hard to get the job. Like I was, I was there to get a job. And the art is what drives me. But in terms of leadership, I, I knew that that was what I had to do to find, to find the stability, to find the community, to find the things that I wanted from, from the industry. Like there's the art and then there's the industry. And, and sort of, this is how I've navigated it. Great. Andrea, I'm gonna ask you next. Gosh, well, you know, I feel like um, uh, I primarily have identified as a director for so long, and um, I feel like that was really seeded. I went to a school for the arts in, in Toronto, and that was really seeded there. We learned directing in grade 11, I think, and actually Paula Citron, who's a reviewer, was um, one of my teachers at the time at the school, um, and who, who was very tough and uh, really frank, and uh, uh, wrote me a letter saying that I, she thought I was a steel magnolia, which I think meant that I was like soft on the outside, but badass on the inside. Um, so, I, so I do feel like um, uh, uh, coming directing my first scene work in grade 11, as, as silly as that sounds, um, and being in the, being leading that work um, actually felt like my first moments to uh, step forward and uh, not be an author, but to have to share a really specific vision with a bunch of people and get them on board. And uh, it was the first time that, even though I'd gone to a school for the arts since I was nine years old, that I that I really loved art. So that so that feels like in some ways one of the one of the clicking moments. And then of course there were tons of ripple moments out of that. And I feel like. Um, I'm still kind of in that moment right now because I'm just about to, uh, you know, step into Kelly's shoes at Nightwood and, and the process of that, uh, this, this, you know, from the fall of her announcement and, uh, and entering into all of the interviewing process for that and really, really 
really staring into my soul about whether th this moment of leadership was was right and urgent for me and 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 if I uh, whether I felt like I had something to really bring to the table and and what that was and um, you know ultimately I, I worked at Tarragon for four years and I felt like being in that position uh, really opened my eyes to being in service of something that was greater than my own work and of course we always talk about work being something that's beyond ourselves um, and of course as an artist there's a lot of interior work that's always happening so so I feel like I learned about service in that position and uh, yeah and so in terms of taking stepping into that place in Nightwood at Nightwood you know really really looking down the barrel and going are you ready to really surrender to this to this uh, really big task of making making space for a whole lot of people yeah Wayne. Yes. Um, so I, I think there's two moments. So I grew up in Scarborough, and uh, my high school was pretty segregated, and uh, there was some violence around in my community, and uh, theater was a tool. Theater was something that I used to, to express some of the ideas that are amongst my community. Um, I wanted to, I, this, things that I would do at the high school to sort of I didn't really know what I was doing. I just needed to find a way to communicate. Um, and then, of course, I, I had a teacher who was like, you know, you should do this at university. And I went in, I auditioned as an actor, and then by the end of the first year, I knew I didn't want to do that, uh, mostly because I had such a hard time finding a black Canadian female monologue to even get into the school with. And um, it's not that they don't exist, they weren't published, um, I found out later, but uh, it was so hard to find, and I thought, I want to be a part of changing this. And uh, by my third year at university, I, uh, I was kind of frustrated about um, just the, the, the sort of diversity in the pedagogy and the curriculum. And I was complaining, and my mother was just, she had it. She was like, you know, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> so I said, yeah, geez, what am I going to do about it? So I walked into the dean's office, and I said, so for my fourth year, I don't want to do any of these classes. I would like to do an independent study called In Search of a Black Canadian Theater Aesthetic. I'm going to go across the country. These are the people I'm going to hang out with. Janice Sears, I really would love to work with her. And he said yes. And uh, my first gig was assisting on Adventures of a Black Girl in Search of God, produced by Kelly. And I met a bunch of people across the country, and it was pivotal. So it was me taking the reins, which came out of, of course, social activism, which is a big backbone of what I do always, and, uh, and then making space for others. Great. Thanks. <laughs> um, Doing well. Thank you. <laughs> uh, okay, great. I'll ask my question next. My question to you ladies is how do you keep a work-life balance? You don't. Yeah. Please, I need to know. That's why I'm asking. So who wants to go? Nina, you're beside me. <laughs> Just because you don't like to be first. I'm pushing you. It's my job. God Here, wait, damn let it. Me, let me go because I don't, yeah. have, I don't have children. Right? So, um, so in terms of my work-life balance, I have a, it, like it's pretty simple. I don't, but I don't have a lot of the things that require me to do that. I will say I just came out of doing the Rhubarb Festival, 
Um, and if I didn't have my partner, who has an incredibly difficult job, she's a social worker, um, so she works, and the things that she deals with every day put everything that I deal with <laughs> into, like, pales, pales in comparison. But if I didn't have that partner who was doing my laundry, maybe grabbing some snacks, um, I would have shown up to work naked and <laughs> starved. Um, so there is an invisible subsidy of feminized labor in what I am able to accomplish. Um, and so in terms of work-life balance, I don't know how that works out, but I've been thinking about that a lot, is that if I didn't have this partner, um, I wouldn't have been able to pull like 100 hour weeks for five weeks. Like it's just impossible, like it's a physical impossibility. So there's all this invisible labor around leadership, around the kind of leadership that we ask of people in these roles that is an inherited structure from years and years and years of invisible subsidized feminized labor that has allowed leaders, primarily men, to do these hours, which are inhuman, utterly inhuman. So that's my piece. Um, I don't either, um, because for me, work and life are the same. So, and then you, you add in a household, all three of us, including my daughter, are all theater artists. So it, it, it's, it's just an accepted, like, in terms of, we just don't think about it anymore. We understand, all three of us understand that there's, there's just going to be phases wherein um, I'm going to be around a lot more in the house now that like I'm done rehearsals, and now it's my husband's turn who's going into rehearsals like literally tomorrow, right? That he's going to disappear for a while. And then, we, and then you have gigs that take us out of our home, like literally uh, in another province. And some miracle, like it, it, it just works for us. Um, I also have to say that, I, I mean, I do, uh, like Mel, I do have a partner who, um, because of my job as an artistic director, he is able to freelance and do whatever the fuck he wants. And he understands that privilege. <laughs> and so whatever he can't, you know, and this has been a long negotiating thing between the two of us is that I say, I don't care about the X number of dollars that you bring in to the house. But if you do in-kind donations <laughs> of, you know, services like doing the laundry and washing the dishes, and, like, I would be really grateful. And he's like, like, you know, at your service, ma'am. Like, she, like, and he's just like, you're damn right. Like, if I'm going to be the breadwinner, the steady breadwinner of this family, like, he really has kind of embraced the, you know, and people give him all sorts of titles, and I, I like, I don't. He, he just, he just picks up where I cannot, and w probably will never. You know, it's just that's just the way it is. Like I watch theater, I see. Like I'm watch theater about six times a week. That is just the way it is. Um, I, you know, I do not. I don't get to tuck my kid in every night. Um, the way kind of moms you know do um but my 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 child is i don't know what i did in my life to deserve a, an amazing kid like her that understands um that's never complained and that sometimes reminds me it's like chill mom i 
it's, you're fine. Like, I still love you, don't feel guilty. Um, and yes, I, 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 it's a lot of trusting my gut instinct um, and then shopping for shoes. <laughs> And that's just the way it's, it is. Yeah. Nice yeah. ones. They're exactly. Nice. Uh, 18 years ago, I started at Nightwood, and I was, you know, a young indie person that could do work, you know, 24 hours a day and not care about anything except the work. Um, in 2007, I had uh, my daughter, and I took a year off and had a glorious mat leave. Um, which is not a break, but it was a, a shift. Uh, and then I came back to work, and for the first year, I felt like I was like failing at everything, like just not doing, failing at Nightwood as an AD, failing at, at motherhood. <laughs> like I was just like coming apart at the seams, I used to say. And um, since, you know, she's turning 12, um, I feel like my life has been a crazy journey of, you know, my marriage ending, walking the Camino Trail to celebrate my 50th, meeting this crazy Catalan guy from Spain who moved to Canada and is also like this amazing, uh, don't worry Kelly, I'll take care of everything. Um, balancing, the balancing act is, is heavily, I'm heavily reliant on him. Um, and the patience of a little girl who, you know, knows that I'm flying on a plane tonight to Winnipeg for 10 days and is in the last hour spending here instead of there. Um, uh, but she too is a child of, uh, of an artist and I don't think she'd have it any other way. Um, she loves it and she loves the kind of, the, the ongoing chaos of, of our lives because she's, she's, both of her parents are artists. Um, I think what I've learned to do more lately is like put down the phone for, uh, you know, I'm always uh, also parenting children in this generation. They are in the digital age and they are as addicted as we are. So I'm constantly saying, put down the iPad. Um, and I will never buy her a phone. She will just never have one. Um, uh, but, you know, I've, I've got a I've got to be the change. I've got to be the one that, that leads that myself. And she's like, well, you're looking at yours. I'm like, uh, no, I'm not. Uh, so I often, for hours, for day, like for sometimes on the weekend, I try and put it in a, in, you know, leave it in the coat when I walk into the house and not look at it for hours and hours. Um, and that is somehow, you know, one step uh, in trying to achieve a balance. It's, it's never a perfect life. Uh, but it's an exciting life, and and you, you kind of show up every day and try and like when I when I finally arrive at work, I'm like, because oh, that that morning ritual is like, okay, everyone, get the kids outside, <laughs> like, drop the kid off, oh. and then the other kind of parenting goes on, which is the parenting of you know, the we'll get into that in another question by Mel, who's got a very complex question. Um, but yeah, the, the, the serving of a community, um, which is also a kind of parenting. So it's uh, show up every day, try and do my best, and turn off the phone as often as possible. Um, so I was trying to decide how much, how revealing I'll be, but I, but I think it's, I, I, and maybe we'll cut this out of the tapes eventually, but I feel, um, growing up, 
my my mom was like the classic lean in 1980s trying to be an executive my dad was an executive they were both you know pushing the clock and then of course she would get home by 7 to put in a you know like a something in an oven to feed us um and you know keep everything afloat and i think uh that really broke her and so i really i witnessed that and i and i you know grew up admiring this like woman with the classic you know uh, shoulder pads <laughs> uh, uh doing doing it all and and had no real awareness of that i think as a kid that she was she was you know breaking herself in service of making it all happen i'm sure there's lots of people in this room who experience that so i feel um I feel conscious of my own breaking points, and it doesn't mean that I don't hit them like quarterly, but I feel like um, I feel like I I, pres I assume that as an adult that at a certain point I would crack, based on adults crack at a certain point, and so I feel like um, now that I'm uh, that I've passed forty and I hurt myself brushing my teeth, I'm like okay, I I have to. <laughs> I have to take care of myself in like in very uh, regulated ways. So like I, I I make it so that I work out and I I try and sleep enough and I and I overdo. You know, coming here today, my partner was like, "You recognize that this is like you you know you're doing the thing again where you work every day of your life." And it's like, yeah, but I have to do this how she leads thing. And like, uh, but 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 and I'm lucky because um, you know he like like most of you, he's the person who feeds me. I wouldn't be fed if it weren't for like him stocking our house and making delicious food. So, you know, and I, and I feel like my house is like a commune. You know, we have a guest room. We're, we're fortunate to have a guest room. So I feel like I have always somebody staying in there who's like, you can take care of my kid today. Great. So I feel like we've, we've raised this child through this radical, weird lifestyle. And, and, you know, daycare never worked for our situation because my partner also is an artist and works uh, in all sorts of erratic ways. But I feel like uh, I, I, I feel like I'm trying to not wait to the point where I um, uh, break down or uh, burn out. Um, because I feel like the more I burn out, the more I realize that when I burn out, I'm, I'm not doing anything for anybody. So actually, I'm, I've like, I feel like I'm, uh, uh, I feel like the last number of years has been really trying to figure out what how, what boundaries are, and, that's, and I fail all the time. But I feel like I'm really conscious of that for my sense of um, physical and, and mental wellness, as well as all of the system. You know, I, I feel like I can't, I can't um, be that support for for any of the circles that I lead. Like the, any of my projects, my directing projects, they can't have me collapse. My home can't have me collapse. Nightwood can't have me collapse. So I feel like that's actually something that I'm really conscious of. Yeah, I think, um, wow, I'm a piece of all of you. Um, my husband also cooks <laughs> and stocks the fridge, it's true. Um, but then also was like unavailable for spans. He's an actor. Um, and, and that's where it gets tricky because I haven't quite created all the mechanisms, you know, um, especially with in, the, in, in this new role um, as a director or doing festivals or even as associate artistic director. You know, there's always these moments of pushes, phases, and I, I just get through this and... And now I know that I have to actually, uh, yeah, I have responsibility to have a stamina, stamina 365 days a year. So I can't function how I used to function. Um, and that's why I really earnestly ask you guys this question because it's, uh, yeah, how the parameters. Um, we've set a new parameter in our house, which is screen-free Sundays. 
and uh, work-free Sundays, which clearly I have broken already. <laughs> and this is the thing, I feel the same way. It's like, I'll, I'll create ideas, but I really do understand that work is life, and, and, at the, and, and you know, it's been such a dream for me f since I was a child, kind of storytelling in this kind of work together and activism that I, I'll drop everything for it. And my husband always tells me that and says, you just have to make sure that you're healthy. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, where my, how to live by certain boundaries. And that's, that's a new, new learning for me. And, but part of me wonders, like, how, as women leaders, can we create structures where you could collapse? Can we create structures, um, like, that we're not inheriting the work ethic of a 365, like that, that we are, we are a lot of these, these schedules and structures, like bank hours, for example. How can an artist work bank hours if we are, if we are there in the evening? Like, how can we actually redefine what the time structures of our companies as leaders are in order to make a more human experience of the work? Yeah, and I think that starts with us identifying that and asking those questions. I'm very aware. Like I called Kelly when I got this job and like, Kelly, how are you doing the transition? You know, um, because we both have children and I have two little boys, three and six. And I was like, okay, this is going to be easy. No problem. I'll just show up. I'll, they'll be in school. But, but I, put I put no time in there to even unpack a box. You know, I've been here two months and I unpacked my last box last weekend. And um, and my children, my ch my my son was like, I need my bear. I'm like, it's in one of the boxes. We'll find it. I'll promise you. You know, <laughs> it's just like. Um, but yeah, so that's a good question, Mel. And I think it's something we really need to keep discussing. Yeah, it's like it's a generational task. Like it's a generational task. We've inherited all of these structures of how work looks. What does work look like? I mean, even just the like, how many of us have mentioned the phone? Like that is an added thing in the last 15 years in addition to these time structures that we've inherited of work like I'm never not working I got an email right now <laughs> it's, it's happening right now I'm actually working on other stuff right like that that sort of like I am subtly working on four different things in this moment <laughs> you all are you've gotten emails right now like you got a tech like I mean like this is actually Never wear one of those. I'm in this weird <laughs> meta space where I'm never anywhere only. But I will say, and I've used this metaphor, you might have even heard it, uh, the computer works slower when there's too many files open. Uh, so, and I do think we're better at what we do when we just go, I'm gonna close that file right now. I'm gonna deal with just this one thing. I'm gonna be present. Like that's the, I think that's the thing that the, the digital world has done to us is that we have to be constantly going with many, many things going on at the same time and I can bing, 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 bing. <laughs> and to just try and slow it all down and be present in a moment is, is where we are our best selves actually. So that's what I'm trying to be. <laughs> yeah, but even that idea is like a paradigm shift. Like you have to like, and within, if you're at the top of a theater company, then you actually have to shift that down to all of your staff. Like because, because especially younger generations have come up with that multi-tab open belief that one can like do all at once. So it's actually like we're talking about you have to make a cultural shift within all of these institutions that have asked all of their like to be all tabs open all the time. 
But it's also, we're still, it, it, <laughs> we're also still in the mentality of, for me, it's, I need to be better, right? There is always kind of um, the, the proving that I can do this and I can kick ass and do it really well, right? And, and that there's just no relaxing into this shit. It, it's, it's, it's relentless in that. And, and, you know, since I've taken on with Factory, for example, it, you know, like, I mean, now it's, it's gotten a little bit better. Like I can actually not be so suspicious of our successes. Um, <laughs> But you have to understand the first two seasons, like, you know, going into what I went in, into, right? It was just like, every, like, it just felt like, perception wise, everybody watching for that crack inside of me, right? And it's like, when is she gonna quit? Like, it was just crisis after crisis after crisis, and people were just waiting for me to fail. And, and what happens when, like, like people come to me uh, in 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 their moment of crisis and their moment of break. I've handled all of that, but you know, one of the things that was asked of me is like, what happens when the leader needs refuge? When the leader needs like, whose shoulder do I cry on when I have given my shoulders um, to the community? Um, so that's always something that's tricky because. You're right, Andrea, like I, you know, they cannot, like my thing is like, they, I am a rock. They cannot see me, this, this thing of like, I, you know, if people see me break down, then that's it. It's a domino effect, right? Like, and again, it's perception and it's my own demons and I, you know, but it's hard. Like it, it's, it's, it's hard to show that vulnerable side. Like I show my vulnerable side for sure you know, to people, and I'm always authentic and honest, but when it comes to strength, man, like what's asked of me, in particular being a woman of color, and what I represent to the community, um, it's 10 times heavier, the burden and the responsibility. Um, yeah, so the tiara just gets heavier, that's all. <laughs> kind of simple. What keeps you up at night? Wayney. Yeah, I think the short answer, and I mean, I don't have to dig deep. I'm up every night, um, you know, especially moving into this role and all of the things that you just spoke of. Um, I think the main thing is I think about my younger self. I think about how badly I wanted to be involved in theater and figure out my way through and, um, and to be included. And so I think a lot about the space and inclusion and making excellent work and having everybody contribute to that and how to make it create how to creatively make it successful and economically sustainable and sometimes i get scared about that equation that keeps me up at night andrea uh there's a couple things that keep you up and keep me up at night um uh i think a, a big one for me as a white woman raising a white boy uh, is my sense of privilege, to be honest, and um, uh, the, uh, the blind spots that, of course, I have. Everyone has blind spots. Um, uh, my ability to be rigorous in... Um, looking at that, not shying away from looking at that, and figuring out 
you know, questions of like legacy, inheritance, uh, how I contribute to colonizing, all of that, all of th those questions, I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, keep me up at night. And I feel like I see, <laughs> especially in my child, I see that not keeping him up at night, but uh, yeah, it's, it feels like it's a big dialogue in our house. Mel? Um, yeah, I would say similar to Andrea, like the complexity of the political um, and language. I think language keeps me up at night, like the speed at which language changes. Um, even when I think about, like when I, in my particular position working at Buddies, think about putting together a panel of women, um, I'm already considering what does the word woman mean? Um, what does the word woman mean in this contemporary context? Um, who is a woman? What does that and 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 the way that the speed at which language is changing, and how that particularly affects the idea of gathering women more than it does men in in a queer context. Um, so that there is nothing simple about politics now. There is nothing simple, and I'm a Gemini, so I'm able to, yeah, I know. <laughs> Could you tell? And, and so my mind will like flip, like I will believe wholeheartedly one moment that this is the right way to be, and then my mind will flip like a fucking pancake, and I am completely on the other side of it. And this happens to me multiple times a week, multiple times a week. And I'm talking about like fundamental things, like the question of what is a woman? fundamental things that I thought I understood every week are completely flipped for me. And it's very exciting, and it's a lot to take in. And so how can I be the most responsive as an artist, as a space creator, as a gatherer of people, to new information that I am receiving almost hourly? But I do generally sleep pretty well. <laughs> Kelly? It's because the Gemini just gets tired and <laughs> the awake one just goes, shut up. Um, currently a head cold keeps me up at night. Um, uh, it's funny. Like, I'm going to talk quite literally about lying there just about to go and then a massive adrenaline rush that will come through my, my body. Um, and that is interrelated to the kind of the too many files open thing where there's just so many people relying on me to make it all work. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 any one of those files will literally scream at me. Um, there's, there's, uh, it's like obviously the state of the world is, uh, you know, I'm a Virgo, but I, 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 think I, I think I'm a bit of a Gemini in terms of like completely, of course I'm a Virgo, I am such a Virgo, um, but uh, completely obsessed with the end of the world <laughs> or the terrible state that we're in and then like the Gemini flip and turn the channel, like turn it off completely and don't look at it for, and people are like, have you heard about the, and I'm not on Facebook, so that's one way to keep a work-life balance. Um, uh, and I won't have any contact with it. So um, I think one of the things that really <clears throat> keeps me, uh, like in terms of this business, season planning I find is the hardest thing in the world. And it's, uh, I think it's because 
I care so deeply for all the artists. They're like raising children, and sometimes it's the Sophie's Choice where you just don't have the money to do everything you need to do. Look at, there's Chelsea Woolley, one of my children that I had to cut this year. Um, I know, but this is, it, it keeps you up at night because I care about all that work, but I just, you know, I also have to deal with the bottom line. Um, and Nightwood is like happily in a, in a better financial position. It was in a deficit and that was really keeping me up at night. Um, but but I find it the hardest thing in the world and you're going probably through your very first uh, journey of season planning where you like, you love them all and and you just can't love them all this year. <laughs> um, because ultimately, Another thing is the bottom line, which keeps me up at night a lot. Um, box office keeps me up a lot at night. You know, shows that you love and you know have to be on that stage and they don't perform at the box office. Um, so it's all the different files. My kid, you know, like bullying of my kid last year. I changed schools, I'm in a much better school, I'm really happy. But like, kind of subtle bullying kind of like just not including her, but enough to go, ah! So it's it's the myriad of things that I'm, we're balancing uh, in our brains. Um, but yeah, it, there's a, at any given night, I'll, I'll be like just about to doze off and then a massive adrenaline rush will, will flow into me for any of these reasons. Yeah, I'd say, I make the mistake, because they come in at night, the box office reports. I make the mistake of, you know, because I want to make sure that the, the night went smoothly. So, of course, that's the thing, especially if it's a great show, you know, if the reviews are all great, and then I look at, like, audience count, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, and, and I, people actually don't realize how... Like, for me, the art is not the problem at, at Factory, you know, and, and again, I mean, I'm suspicious of it, but I, I do believe, you know, people, people love this, the shit that we do now, and it's, it's so clear, and our mandate, and celebrated, and I, and I feel the love and the support, but what, what, what's not really understood is the intricacy of the, the economic sustainability, and that your Facebook likes and hearts, <laughs> Don't pay the bill. it's, it's, it's not going to save a theater company that's always on, the, like, on this fine line of going broke at any second. No matter how brilliant you think the season is or how, like, like, do you know what I mean? And, and so for me, again, I don't worry about, you know, there's uh, um, all of the season planning and all of that stuff. It's there. It can be in place. It could be like, fuck, this is amazing, and always will be the bums in the seats. Because if nobody shows up, and that's happened several times in their seasons, and again, it's not for lack of acclaim or you know, people loving it on Facebook and all the hearts, it's just if you don't show up, I can't continue the work, the wonderful work that you guys appreciate me for. Right, And if we don't spread the word, if we don't start supporting women's work, work by you know, playwrights of color, by BIPOC artists, like leaders like me who take those risks, right? Who do, you know, in Factory, we do world premieres. That's our bread and butter. And that's the most riskiest 
Um, and if if that's not supported, I can't keep continuing. Like people, I just need to understand that. Like I, you know, I I do have a board of directors who, again, in principle, love what I do, but they see the bottom line, and they're like, we can't keep doing this. You know, so that's that's the thing right now that I'm wrestling with night after night. And again, that's just from reading like you know a box office report, and it's like it's not enough. We're not hitting target. You know, um, so yeah, <laughs> it's hard. It is, yeah. A leadership has changed a lot, and so we talk about leadership as a role of service. But as a woman, what's the difference between service and servitude? And how can I maintain authority and still have a leadership style that is intentionally of service? Because I do find myself walking that line. <laughs> service, servitude. Um. Yeah, this is a good one. So, yeah, I've had to. I just I'm I, I'm always so aware of how exciting and um, what an impression it made to meet female artistic leaders when I was young and, and coming up. And so, whenever anybody calls <laughs> a female who wants to have coffee with me, I can, I'm all, my first impression, my first reaction is just like, yes, this could mean everything, you know. Um, and so, I have to remind myself that to really make an impact. I have to the stamina. I have to not think about individuals. I have to think about women as a, as a whole and um, and how to serve as a whole. And that will be so. It's hard. I have to remind myself. Um, but yeah, I think I'm finding it already in trying to figure out the rhythm of how much how I'm prioritizing all the work that I have to do and all the coffees and all of the, you know, and I want to meet all the, and see all the work and do all of that stuff, which is a part of my job and part of what excites me. But also I have to be able to have the time to, to create the, 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 <laughs> the infrastructure for their work to shine, so. I think two things. One is um, the word authority. Like I think that the, the kind of redefinition of what authority looks like and, and behaves like. And I think, um, I think, uh, you know, uh, that that can look like lots of different things. And I feel like this idea of being in service of, I'm like really holding on to that. And like when I'm when I'm directing a show, I feel like making making space for the other people and uh, like doing doing so in not in a way that that requires um, an an alpha uh, ness about that. Um, and I feel like. This is, I don't know if this is, this is kind of answering your question, Mel, but I think um, uh, con confronting people's expectations with what a leader, what, how a leader behaves and really wanting to like totally change the temperature and values of what that, what that can look like while still being bold and decisive and in, in command of a space. So I feel like, uh, yeah, that's how I'd answer that. One more thing I just want to say is that, like, in terms of the Nightwood office, um, I, I I don't know if it, like all of our staff are women, and uh, even in just being a little hologram there this week and 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 helping it with with certain things in my transition, I feel like I'm I'm very conscious of how much saying yes there is in the room, which is inherently great, and also I see the I see the the red flag in that too that everyone you know which is like a very women woman quality to be like oh yeah yeah I can stay late for that thing yeah yeah I'll be there tomorrow yeah I can let the people in to do their fempocalypse yeah I can do this yeah I can do this and I can see the like the doom of the yes 
So I feel like in terms of that boundary conversation, that's, that's got to, we'll, we'll, we'll be, we have to look at that in ourselves and, and as leaders in, in how, our, how, how the other people in service of that vision are also contributing to, to that. Change that climate. Take that company and change it. Um, no. It, I feel like uh, how she leads is a good question. Uh, I feel like women lead, or I, my leadership at Nightwood and, and going forward, I've always felt like I lead in the center, um, that, I, that I kind of non-hierarchical uh, is, is, I think it may be inherent in the way women lead, but I don't want to make absolute statements. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I never, I, I'm not, I've, it's never been the Kelly Thornton show for me um, as the artistic director. I know some artistic directors, it's all about who's a, who, who that is, who's in the chair, and, and they're synonymous with, you know, the company. Um, I feel like Nightwood, for me, has been about everybody. Um, everybody, making sure everybody's getting a voice uh, from the the interns that are assistant directing. They're like, I never, I've never thought I could have an opinion in the room. <laughs> and I'm like, please, I need your objectivity. Um, I do feel like, you know, in um, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, when the dog, <laughs> Max, is like, running down the hill, and, the, and then the sleigh kind of <laughs> goes ahead of them. <laughs> and then he's like running as fast as he can <laughs> to stay up with the, he's being dragged by the sleigh. Um, that feels inherently like, <laughs> like what it feels like to be going from service to servitude sometimes where you're just like, I can't get you, I can't hold on. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm running as fast as I can so that everybody else is getting what they need and want, but I'm not, I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not doing the work-life balance. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, my, my personal life is suffering, or my child needs me. Um, uh, there, it's a really fine line, and you know, it's it's a good reminder to have this conversation. And just go watch yourself, because you you, you want to help everybody, and you want to do everything, and and sometimes you lose control, and you're you're chasing the thing that you're supposed to be leading instead of the other way around. Yeah, this is a tricky one because I think being a Filipino, um, servitude is, is, a, is a thing in our culture, right? And um, your best nannies and your best domestic helpers um, are Filipinos. Um, so there's that part of, of my heritage where I think it's, you know, we chalk it up, it's, it's in us to, to be public servants. But then another part of my lineage is I, I'm an Aquino. And so our way of service has always been through revolution, through change. So those kind of fight each other, but actually no, like now, now that I'm older, they're quite, I realize that they're quite in sync and that for me, in the fight, in the revolution, I've always gone by, you know, this little thing that I always remind myself of is, in order to have everything, I have to give up everything. And so when I think about my kind of leadership that way, it is, it is the giving of myself. And that's why there is no balance for me. I, they, like, 
Um, I, it's, it's I'm, I'm here, you have all of me, my flaws, my whatever, um, and, and what you see is, is what you get. Um, so servitude, sure, but make no mistake, if you piss me off, I will kick you. Like, I, like, like dude, I will kneecap you. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough now to, to have, you know, I think it's, it's servitude with confidence that if I am feeling like you are treating me like a maid, then you'll have some words. Um, uh, it, 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 it's that confidence to be able to speak up and to find my voice. Like, I'm happy. I'm happy to serve as long as I feel like there is a mutual um, treatment of respect um, and that there is some recognition and acknowledgement in that. Um, and, then, and then we're okay, you know? I, 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 don't, I don't mind it. Um, but I think there, there needs to be kind of, um, yeah, like a mutual thing, a, a, an understanding that uh, I'm not doing this, you know, to, to, for mar to, to be a martyr or to be a hero. Like, it, you know, that there, there is something that I do get in my heart in return. Okay. Uh, so I wrote, what aspects of yourself have you had to actively face and strengthen to improve your work as a director slash leader? I think, you know, especially as a young female director, I was working the wrong muscles a little bit. Like I was um, feeling like I have to know everything. I have to inside out, two times better, three times better, 10 times better. And um, I, you know, and the other thing is I, had to, I have to make sure that the people in the room feel okay that I know what I'm doing as a woman. Like I was like, I had to compensate for their bias. <laughs> you know, in a way, and make sure that they feel okay. Anyway, so that was just this you know, subconscious thing that was there, so I was always like just overworking myself to death, and then also not enjoying the way the process was happening, because inherently I, I, I direct very collaboratively. So, um, so it was probably an ego, I would say, would be the trait, like that like, makes me think, I, well, I can do this, you know, and, um, and anyways, just kind of realizing that I wasn't enjoying myself in that way. And that's not actually the way I direct. Um, so really sort of claiming my own style and uh, yeah. I think it's, uh, for me, it's still, in, in, because it's, I think it's gotten worse <laughs> for me with age, is um, wrestling with social anxiety. Because I I, it's something that like, I recognize that I do have that. And for the longest time, I really beat myself up for that, for not being this charismatic, extrovert leaders that I, like, that I see um, in conferences or whatever. I am most often the quiet one. I am the one that you will see in the corner. Um, and, and you know what? Like I, I've, I think I've learned now to kind of be okay with that, that I am that kind of leader that I don't speak up right away, that I need nudging, that I, like, and I'm, I used to be really uh, insecure about that and I used to feel that that's a point against me, that I'm not the schmoozer, you know, that I, you know, um, that I don't network, I hate that word, um, like right away with people, um, but um, that there is, for me, I'm, I'm really an observer. I'm a listener. Like, I will not speak up right away. I don't write 
you know, eloquent open letters on social media. Um, I don't say much at all, even though I am in it. I don't, um, because I'd rather lead by example. You know, you want to know what I think about this? Go to Factory and watch the work. It's all there. Who I am is all there in the season planning, in the kinds of people that I select to, to, to be at the helm of the productions. That is who I am. You get all of me through the work. That's why I don't even write director's notes. Um, that's, it, I put that in my contract now. Because I have theater companies like, but you have to write one. I'm like, they just need to watch the play. And that's my whole director's notes. Yeah. And so now, like, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm putting in my, I put it in my contract and, you know, she'll not write director's notes. Um, because, yeah, and so I think that's, um, that's the thing that, I mean, if I can uh, have classes on how to be more outgoing, um, <laughs> I, I, I totally would, and I think that's something that I'd love to improve upon, but at the same time, just kind of ha have accepted that who I was in grade school, like sitting on my own at recess and having people flock to me, that's just, that's just who I am today. Um, and I'm okay with that, I think. Um, Nina and I were talking about this on opening night of Schoolgirls, I was like, I struggle with the, the imposter syndrome. I, I'm like, just before I direct anything, I'm like, like heading to the rehearsal, I'm like, I know nothing. Who am I kidding? I don't know what I'm doing. Um, you know, and uh, uh, undervaluing myself, I think I've been uh, pleasantly surprised that I'm the new artistic director of the Royal Manitoba Theater Center, going, really? You, you chose me. Um, but quite honestly, not not believing that I would even be in the running, and only being nudged by a few, a few great women at at the PAC conference last year, which I hadn't been to in a few years, that, that they're like, yeah, you, we need more women applying for these things. Get in there, and so kind of at the last minute, I threw my hat in. Um, but it's all rooted in not valuing who I am and what I've accomplished, and that I could do it. Of course I can do it. I don't know what is the problem. Um, but I think it's a thing, like, you know, I think they say uh, uh, when a, a job posting happens that that men will, uh, you know, they'll have half of the qualifications and they'll apply and women have to have, ha you know, have to have all of the qualifications and then some before they even consider applying. And that's just like, it's, it's exhausting for God's sake, uh, I think. I think, I think it's an ongoing battle uh, in my life, but it, it's it's me facing into that every day and going, like it, it's the it's the Gemini in my Virgo, um, that I that a part of me knows that I'm completely capable, and another part of me every day is like I can't do this, so it's just silencing the the little person on my shoulder that is annoying and untrue. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm very charming. Um, which is great, because I'm deeply insecure. And so I think I, I have, um, <laughs> so I have that imposter syndrome, that social anxiety. I think it comes out in the opposite way, where I become excessively charming and funny. Oh my God, when I'm nervous, I become so funny. Um, uh, so I'll often leave, like as I will today, leave and imagine that I, um, 
was a complete idiot for two hours. Like, and it'll take me like eight hours to come down from these kind of experiences. So it's taken me a long time to cut that eight hours down to like 15 minutes and a coffee. Like, um, but I think, you know, trying to connect the person that I am inside to the person that I am outside is, is a lifelong journey. Like, I don't think many people are actually that the person that you are on the outside and inside. Like, I, I, so that's what I'd like to do, is I'd like to bring those two people closer together. Um, but until then, it's gonna be fun for all you, because <laughs> I am hilarious, so. Oh, you have to, oh, I have to answer my own question. Um, uh, yeah, so I feel like this kind of like big, put those all in the blender and I'll drink that as my answer, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I feel like I'm um, kind of going back to what you were saying, saying Weenie, about like holding or, or, or what I would paraphrase as like holding on too tight. And I feel like the in my especially in my early days, like a rehearsal would have like every 15 minutes devoted to a thing. And then if if it got off track, it was like, I don't, I don't, I don't have that 15 minutes. And, you know, I feel like my my process has gone from that to like trying to be as off as like pre-prepared and then off the cuff is very possible. And so I guess for me that speaks to like control and, and surrendering or loosening or, you know, I guess being open, yeah. Amazing questions. Thank you guys so much for those questions. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we thank you so much for all the work you do as female leaders in this country. Kelly, go kill it out in Manitoba. We love you, and thank you all for being here. <laughs>